No, no. We're going to figure it out. Hello, Blog Talk Radio. I know y'all can hear us trying to work out these kinks. But it is another powerful edition of Revolutionary Voodoo, New Orleans Voodoo, speaking to All Thank you so much for my international audience. I'm always grateful for Nigeria and Ghana and Russia and China and all the territories around the world. Thank you for you from listening. I invite your participation. Come on in, join us. Come on in, my cat. Greetings, greetings. Come on in. Welcome, welcome. Come on in. All of the blessings. Four, five, six, seven, nine, 
Eshu is the respected elder who flogs, confronts, and uncovers fools. That one versed in mysteries uses truth to own you. He causes scatter to feed poverty. Obatala shakes rascals to have sacrifice. The owner of warnings is the one who is Eshu, Aboru, Aboye, Aboshishe, Ashe. May our Ebo reach a room. May our Ebo be accepted. May our Ebo allow what we desire to come to pass. And so we say, Ashe. Ashe, O, and Ashe. Greetings and greetings, divine, all blessed, peace and love, joy and prosperity. You are now sitting live with the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagoon Oloye, Hoodoo Obeya Bokor, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a pan-African hoodoo world spiritualist perspective, understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is indeed my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, reverberation, reiteration, and it is my ever-living reality. It is crucial. All is a blessing. It's crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my teaching, my walk, my works, my demonstration along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. And it is how I, Divine Prince, make sense out of all that we're challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother Father Earth. It is indeed the place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine all-blessed reality. And so it is. Ashe, Asheo, and Ashe. Greetings, greetings this Friday, March 26, 2021, and I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you now live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum universally from this working temple of the House of the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor in this beautiful, extraordinary, historic, and legendary city of New Orleans, Louisiana the land of my ancestors and those who came before me along this Hoodoo Obeya life path and journey. 
passing down the great opiate stick, understanding the power of the knowledge, the healing, the ritual, the spirits, the traditions of our people. And it's typically at this point that I would say our sacred stories. So we're going to bring our sacred stories in with us now on the screen. The beloved Denise Augustine, she is our sacred stories, the creator, the originator, the owner, operator, the spirit, the power, the teaching behind our sacred stories. Welcome, welcome. Greetings. Um, our sacred stories is under construction right now. As you know, we've been through COVID. I protected myself uh, so that I could be here with you. So um, you can OurSacredStories.com, but I will not be doing uh, any tours until later on in the year when things calm down, And uh, but I look forward to teaching you history, culture, and traditions in the most Africanized city in America. Can you all hear her? Greetings, beloved. Help me out, y'all. I'm trying something a little different today. Greetings, Craig Burns. Beloved Matthew Ferguson, welcome, welcome, the infinite one lives. Greetings, beloved. Congo Square in the house. Regina White, welcome. S. Marie, Nina Lloyd, thank you so much for your continued commitment and support. Please, someone in the chat room, let us know, how does the audio sound? Are you getting, well, first of all, can you hear me right now? And could you hear Denise without any feedback. Yeah, I'm getting feedback. Um, is there an echo now, Esmarie, and can you hear me? Nathan Burns, can you hear me now? Is there still an echo? I have myself muted. You say there is still an echo right now. Um, okay. Denise, mute your computer. Mute your mic. Do you mute yourself or your mic? Okay, on, you did it on your screen? Mm -hmm. Okay, now is there still an echo now? Um, Nina Lloyd, S. Marie, is there still an echo now? Can you can you hear me at this at this point? Greetings, one Wapani. Is there an echo? Can you hear me? And is there an echo behind? She said it's slight, but it's okay. So I guess um, when you're talking, no, when you're talking, you have to mute your mic. That could that could possibly work. Yeah, yeah, that could possibly work. Ask for Pony if she hears me now. Well, Pani, can you hear Denise now? Denise, give a little bit of your intro again. So uh, I'm Denise Augustine, owner and operator of our sacred stories in New Orleans. Uh, I teach culture, tradition, and history of the most Africanized city in America. Um, I grew up in a voodoo hoodoo community right here in Treme. Thank you. Tell it like it is. Greetings. Um, well, one Wapani says there's still an echo. 
Um, we may have to use the same camera. Well, not not necessarily the same camera, but the same mic. Mine is muted. Um, and Esperee says there's still an echo. Okay, um, give me a moment, y'all, to try and work this out. Um, thank you for your patience, Blog Talk Radio. Is you are you muted right now? Okay, let me mute you. Um, okay, is, is there still an echo, Nina Lloyd? Because we're gonna work this out, y'all. We got we got a little bit of time to see if we can work out the uh, the sound effects. Let's see if I'm um, Thank you. Uh, tell it like it is. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate everyone who's given us feedback because we, we need that. Um, now I'm getting a great deal of... Um, well, Pondy says, now I'm perfectly clear. Okay. So what did you just do? Mute yourself? Okay, but when you start talking like that, it's it's like it's picking up both of our microphones. So something is somebody's mic has to be. Yeah, I just closed yours off on the screen. Okay. Because you could still be heard. Right. So strange because this mic is muted. You see it? The acid on it. From where? From here. No, that's your speaker. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's your that's speaker. why. Okay, wait a minute. That's the sound from coming out of your side. I, I meant your mic. All right, here's my mic. And you mute your, no, you mute your mic from here. Okay, wait. Somewhere in here. No, close that. Oh, see right there? It's on mute. Yeah, because I have you muted now, but this should be a way you should be able to mute yourself. But. Yeah, but that will, I never did it. It says unmute right there. Right, so I'm not going to unmute it. I'll use your Okay, so you're good. See if they still hear. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, well, Pani, I believe we fixed it now because we're going to talk about black spiritualist practices and the black spiritualist church, and we're going to talk about Leafy Anderson, and we're going to get this story told today. <laughs> we just need to get the sound right. Um, okay, thank you, Nathan Burns. Now, Denise, I need you to um, – just so we can again check the sound, mm-hmm. um, and I don't mean to catch you off guard because I, okay. I just need you to tell a story right now. Okay. Um, so, what qualifies you to to to, to tell us about? Okay, so uh, there are several reasons why I am who I am today. It's it's it, it. why I am drawn to the history and culture, uh, everything from the cooking to the rituals to just everything about this community, is that my family, I am a seventh generation uh, Creole in New Orleans. And my grandmother, my great-grandmother had 14 children. And of those 14, only five were girls. And of those five girls, my grandmother was the only one that had a child, which was my mother. My mother had one child, which is me. So that left me with 
with, surrounded by these older aunts. Where they went, I went. I was their sister's only grandchild. And so when they made uh, sacred perfumes or they prayed or they went to bring things to the river, to the Mississippi River, um, and any of the rituals that they did, I was right there. And so this comes natural to me because part of the culture is prep food, prepping Creole food takes a long time. If you're going to peel 17 pounds of shrimp, you better be able to tell a story. Remember, there was no TVs in the kitchen and all this stuff that entertains us now while we do our daily fast. So storytelling was the thing that they did. And in the middle of storytelling, you got your family's history, you got your neighbor's history, you got the hidden history, the secret history. And if you were smart and you wanted to stay there in that kitchen where the food was being prepped and the stories were being told, you would keep your mouth closed and listen. And so, of course, I had the dirtiest job. I was the one uh, peeling those 17 pounds of shrimp, and I listened. And so I learned not only how to tell a story, the subject matter and the cadence in which to tell it that keeps it, keeps your audience interested. And so, of course, I had a profession and I had uh, my son and I had to provide for him and educate him. And I was a medical coder, but when it came time for tuition, I would get out in the French Quarter, right where we lived, and I would get tourists to take a tour with me to make the extra money in order to pay tuition, buy books, whenever I needed extra money. You, you did one of two things. You'd make pralines to sell, or you would gather tourists, and they would pay you to tell them the history of New Orleans. And so uh, this is how my retired profession comes about. Um, and so storytelling is what I've been doing all my life, but more now since, and I formed my company after I uh, retired. So uh, we're going to talk about the spiritual church um, and the dominance of women in this church. Now, there were men too, of course, but in 1920, a woman by the name of Leafy Anderson comes to New Orleans. And Leafy is born in Wisconsin. And Leafy comes and she gives the black community something they've never had before. And she gives them a religion of ex expression based in what we were forced to do, and that was become Christians, and especially in Louisiana, since we're French-born, we were Catholics. 
you had to be a Catholic in the colony before 1803. It was required in the Black Code that all enslaved people uh, would be taught Catholicism, would be baptized. Uh, they baptized in the St. Louis Cathedral. We have the records of enslaved and of people being baptized. And you also had to follow this religion. And when you died, you were buried according to Catholic law. So we're Catholic out of Africa. And then the Protestant church after 1803, when the Americans started coming in, the Protestant church comes in. Now, this is what I need you to realize, is that people outside of the black community have control of this religion. They're going to tell you how to practice it. They're going to tell you what you can do, what you can't do, this kind of stuff. We got lucky as the spiritualist church put black people out. And then Lethe Anderson comes in, and she adjusts and adapts the spiritual church to feed the needs of the African American in, in the diaspora in this area. Now, what she does is she comes in, and she puts uh, bands in a church. Jazz bands are actually brought in for the first time in the service. Now, as Africans, music has always been a part of our uh, of the way we worship, right? Drums, dancing, all of this is allowed to contact spirit because we knew 10,000 years ago that spirit reacts to your emotional presence involved in it. Right? You can sit, stand all day and do the rosary and get no results. But when you dance and you sing, spirit actually joins you. And, and I'm, one of the reasons, I'm sorry? No, go ahead. I was going to say, and I wanted to add um, some context to that. Um, again, I appreciate my listeners and my chat for keeping us up to date on sound quality. We really appreciate that. And so people absolutely had opportunity to hear you, you know, and, and to uh, digest what you were saying. Um, now, I wanted to give a little bit of history. But again, I can't hear us because I had to mute the computer on my end. But only one mic should be open. So there shouldn't be any feedback. So if you get any feedback right now, um, please just just let me know. Just let me know if there's any feedback. I wanted to talk about, uh, well, I like Whitney Plantation, you know, and their research right. and some of the, the documentations that they, that they offer. And so there's what's called the Louisiana Slave Database. Right. And it is composed of 107,000 entries documenting the people enslaved in Louisiana from That's 1719 with the arrival of the first slave ship directly from the Bight of Benin, West Africa, to 1820, when the domestic slave trade from the East Coast became almost exclusive supplier of slave labor in what was called the Lower South. The database was built by historian Gwendolyn Mildo Hall, the author of the seminal book Africans in Colonial Louisiana in 1992. 
and African Ethnicities in the Americas, Restoring the Links, in 2005. The names of the enslaved people were found in official documents located in parish courthouses, the notorial archives, the old U.S. Mint, and the public library in New Orleans, the state archives in Baton Rouge, university special collections, etc. Beyond plantation inventories and criminal cases, slaves were also identified in wills, marriage contracts, leases, seizures for debts owed, mortgages of slaves, and reports of death. All of these remarkable documents pay particular attention to recording the names and aliases of the enslaved, the names of their master and their birthplaces, including their nations for those born in Africa. The documents also pay much attention to skills, diseases, personal behavior, and in the Louisiana Slave Database, the vast majority of the slaves whose birthplaces were identified were Africans. Among 38,019 slaves whose birthplace were recorded, 24,349, or 64%, were of African birth. Among these, 8,994, or 37%, indicate specific nations, while 9,382, or 38.5%, indicate their African coastal origins only, like the coast of Senegal or the coast of Guinea. Some 5,972 records, or 25.3%, simply indicate that they were Africans with no uh, other information about their birthplace or origin. So the vast majority of the slaves of identified origins transshipped from the Caribbean, where newly arriving Africans uh, listed as brute in, in French or bouzal in Spanish purchased from the Atlantic slave trade ships there is a particularly high percentage of identified birthplaces, especially many African nations of slaves recorded in documents between 1770 and 1820 in the lower Mississippi parishes. St. Charles, St. John the Baptist, uh, Point Copie, and to a lesser extent, Orleans. The concept of nation is here used to designate the different groups of people imported from Africa. <clears throat> it may designate ethnic groups or geographical origins on original documents. The notion of frequency is determined by the number of times the name of a particular ethnic group or geographical origin is attached to the description of slaves documented in inventories, wills, trials, mortgages, etc. It is a good indicator of the volume of the slave trade from different regions of West Africa since ethnic designations listed in Louisiana documents overwhelmingly involve self-identification by the enslaved. So am I being heard good, Nina Lloyd? Thank you so much, uh, Robin of Detroit. Um, 
are, are you trying can you see the chat at all because they are i cannot because they are talking back at you at the chat i cannot i don't know how to we'll work it out i can i can enlarge my screen i don't know how to do that on on, on your <laughs> that's okay on your computer but if you all are hearing me clearly thank you tell it like it is um i'll continue because this is important information thank you neophyte vocor greetings beloved one of my faithful co-hosts um this is particularly important when we start talking about lineage heritage um what path should i be taking sometimes we see you know yoruba versus voodoo versus you know something else you know and i often speak about the importance of ethnic cultural database of energy which feeds the practice and the tradition geographically depending on where that ethnic group found its landing where that ethnic practice or tradition would continue and of these records the 18 most frequent African ethnicities in Louisiana between 1719 and 1820. The Bamana or the Bambara, 413 males, 53 female. The Mandinga, 617 male, 305 female. The Nor or the Moor, 101 male, 35 female. The Fulby or the Pollard, 160 male, 50 female. The Senegal or Wolof people, 363 male, 234 female. The Kisi people, 51 men, 35 women. The Conga, 210 men, 129 women. The Bite of Benin, because that first listing of ethnic groups uh, was considered Greater Senegambia, the Greater Senegambia. From the Bite of Benin, Shamba, 276 men, 139 women. The Mina people, 430 men, 198 women, the Fon or the Arada people, 126 men, 117 women, the Hausa people, 122 men, 11 women, the Nago or Yoruba, what we call today the Yoruba people, 247 men, 111 women. The next uh, major group is the Bite of Biafra, and so from the Bight of Biafra, which is just north of, of uh, present-day Togo, Benin, Nigeria, now we're moving more into um, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, um, some of those northwestern regions, but not quite, you know, Morocco or, or, or in the desert. But we have the Edo people, 38 men, 28 women. Igbo people, 287 men, 237 women. The Ibibio or the Mako people, 61 men, 21 women. The Calabar, 88 men, 59 women. 
the Congo from West Africa, 2,064 men, 924 women. And from the Makwa, from the Eastern Coast, 67 men, 35 women. And this is important, again, when we often hear conversation about, um, you know, I'm practicing Orisha, um, I'm practicing Yoruba, you know, I've, I've received a hand of Ifa. We have to really begin to look at who we are from a, from a more ethno-centered place and how that then translates into our practices. I want to talk more, and, and beloved Denise gave a great opening. I just need her to remember that your audience is in that camera. Okay. Okay. Oh, I want to make one uh, one statement about the Wolof people. Yes. Uh, they stopped importing them because this is a warrior tribe, and these are the people who would start revolutions or uh, murder their masters or uh, plot. Uh, uh, insurrection. Mm-hmm. And so they realized early on that these people would not go easily into slavery. And if you did force them somewhere along the line, you could wake up dead or not wake up. That's right. Uh, so Wolof people were a no-go. Let's not, let's not, uh, let's not invite them into this little slave movement. That's right. That's right. And we have to consider, too, you know, that people often want to focalize the practice, the traditions, the cultures on Haiti. And, and Haiti is a sister, a sister city to New Orleans. We have a co-relationship, indeed, with, with Haiti. But Haiti didn't, wasn't singly responsible for the formulation of spirit practice and tradition in, in New Orleans. We had at least 100 years of active um, slave activity in, in this region before the Haitian Revolution. I, I want to also speak, bring it a little closer to um, my topic, of uh, some other practitioners of hoodoo, root work, conjure, voodoo, that we don't hear as much romantic conversation about like we do Marie Laveau, or, or even as we do for fictional characters that... Um, sort of mirror back echoes and fantasies of, of the root of our real tradition. So I want to introduce some people today to the record. Sister Get, Get Gertrude Morgan. Sister Gertrude Morgan. Sister Gertrude Morgan was a rock. She made it using crayons, poster paint, pens, and even shoe polish of all kinds of surfaces from cardboard to canvas. She made it using spirituals, gospel hymns, shouts, chants, and songs she made up on the spot, and sometimes accompanied by piano, guitar, and always with percussion. She made it in orphanages, prisons, street corners, jazz festivals, art galleries, and her living room. She made it in the lower ninth ward of New Orleans. Sister Gertrude Morgan's record reveals her single-minded commitment to worship. Her artwork and music were saturated with images and words from scripture. 
And even the clothes she wore were consistent with revelation she received from the Lord about her mission to preach the gospel and her identity as the bride of Christ. In 1900 to 1938, Sister Gertrude Morgan was born the seventh child of a dairy farmer on April 7, 1900 in Lafayette, Alabama. When the family moved across the river to Columbus, Georgia in 1917, Sister Gertrude began attending Rose Hill Memorial Baptist Church, part of the National Baptist Convention. And in 1928, she married Will Morgan. At Rose Hill Memorial Baptist Church, Sister Gertrude studied the Bible. She learned the core Christian doctrines that grounded her faith. Her pastor, James Barry Miller, is a good example of the emphasis on literary and education that characterized many black communities around the turn of the century. The Bible was a primary teaching tool. And though he was born a slave, Reverend Miller eventually earned a Doctorate of Divinity degree. This emphasis on formal training led to successful ministries like Reverend Dr. Miller's but it also alienated self-taught ministries who were either unwilling to adapt more reserved forms of worship or unable to meet the new qualifications for ministry. And though Sister Gertrude's formal education did not extend beyond the third grade, she learned to read and write, she knew the Bible well, and she could also sing and play the piano. However, the formal training that would qualify her for ministry in the Baptist church was beyond her reach as a poor black woman living in the country. So when Sister Gertrude revived her first call to go and preach on December 30th, 1934, she lived in the tension of the more conservative Baptist church that nurtured her faith and encouraged her education. But that also urged assimilation rather than free expressions of the simple message God put on her heart and her mind. So when she received her second revelation in 1937, she could no longer contain it. Though it was the middle of the night, she ran from house to house with the news. Shortly afterward, she set out on her new new journey on her own, supporting herself by working as a nanny and a nursemaid. And during this time, she also began singing and preaching in the streets. So Sister Gertrude's decision to leave her home must have been a difficult one. But during the urban migrations of the 1920s, it was not so uncommon for black women and men to found their own missions after receiving a call to preach. Known as Jack Lake preachers, these itinerant musical evangelists supported themselves by selling their songs and ballads. Sister Gertrude distributed one called A Poem of My Calling. Their hardworking voices often gave them a distinctive sound that came to be emulated in later, emulated in later uh, gospel styles and, and, and other forms of not only gospel styles, but also um, performance, demonstration in, in the community. Some Jack Bay preachers traveled the rail lines and remained on the streets indefinitely, but others settled down as if they found a sympathetic group of supporters. 
Just before her 40th birthday, Sister Gertrude received another vivid revelation during a terrifying hailstorm in which the Lord told her to leave the streets and find a new way to preach the gospel. So she headed towards the city of New Orleans, where she met her where she met Mother Margaret Parker and Sister Cora Williams, and together they founded an orphanage in the lower Gentilly neighborhood on the outskirts of New Orleans, 533 Flake Avenue. The three of them traveled to the French Quarter to preach on the streets and raise money to support the mission. And during this time, Sister Gertrude began using simple crayon drawings and music to teach the gospel to the children she cared for. And Sister Gertrude and Mother Margaret continued the ministry after Sister Cora's death in 1944. They traveled to worship conferences in Louisiana and Texas. They were associated with the holiness and sanctified church movements uh, from which I um, came out of, um, that aspect of, of spiritual demonstration in our community. And anthropologists and novelists like Zora Hill Nurston wrote, the whole movement of the sanctified church is a rebirth of song making. It has brought in a new era of spiritual making, the sanctified church. So I wanted to introduce her story uh, as a, a powerful sort of template for spiritual movement and development, not only in the black community, but particularly how it is influenced by what I call the Mecca of ATR, of black spiritual root in, in America how New Orleans has called, and, and being a transplant, as Denise, I'm sure, could speak to, is, is, a, is a tough subject to sort of walk through um, as a local and a longtime resident of the city of New Orleans. They don't necessarily make it an easy road, if you will, for those who sort of find their way to New Orleans. Though this has always been a port city, always been an international city, always been a transient city, uh, but but it's just a cultural distinction. So I thought her story was important. It also mirrors for me in many ways today's um, fabric of spiritual development in our community. Uh, of course, we now have the virtual realm that is the Internet and social media and all the ways that we sort of connect, you know, in that space. But in any, any many ways, it is not very different from that demonstration of independent developed practitioners finding their way by way of their craft, their music, their art, their their talent, their ability to be gifted orators. And spirit moves through whom it will, as it will. And so these are some of the root foundations of many of the traditions today that we identify with hoodoo, root work, conjure. Another person I wanted to bring up, mention before we move on to Lethe Anderson, is Mother Catherine Seals and the Temple of Innocent Blood. Mother Catherine Seals is a mysterious figure, though not much is written about her. There are only a few photographs of her. So a lot of what we know about Mother Catherine Seals, spiritual mother, is hearsay. Chandra McCormick and Keith Calhoun are both documentary photographers that grew up in the Lower Ninth Ward. 
that grew up hearing about her. She was a great healer. She took care of a lot of people. She had juju, and she was rocking, remembers Calhoun. Catherine herself played the trombone, McCormick adds. Calhoun continues, my mother always talked about Mother Catherine, that she walked around barefooted through the neighborhood. Some of the stories about her say that once she created her Bethlehem in the Lower Ninth Ward, she never left. This Bethlehem in the Lower Ninth Ward was the church and manger where Mother Catherine ministered to thousands of people, black and white. And during the height of the Jim Crow in the 1920s, she called her compound the Temple of the Innocent Blood. And to understand why, we need to go back and understand more about this woman before she was known as Mother Catherine Seals, when she was still Catherine Nanny Cowens a girl from Kentucky, another successful transplant. Absolutely. <laughs> Dr. Ina Frandrick. Am I saying? Fanditch. I always mispronounce her name. Please forgive me, Dr. Ina. Dr. Ina Fanditch studies African spiritual heritage in Catholic areas in the New World, which is how she discovered Mother Catherine, who was, as a 16-year-old in 1913, still nanny Cowens. Nanny leaves a nanny lives a rough life in Kentucky and leaves that life and heads for New Orleans on her own. And within a year she gets married. Her husband was physically abusive, violent, so she left him. A few years later she married again. But this husband was also violent. So she leaves him and marries a third time. But her third and final husband is the most dangerous of them all, according to Dr. Fandage. He kicks her in one of his violent outbursts. He kicks her badly in the stomach and, 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 her, and kicks her badly in her stomach that she's left paralyzed. She had a stroke and is paralyzed. So now what? Cody Roberts is an assistant professor. Uh, professor of history at Louisiana State University. Some of you might remember Cody Roberts from the uh, zombie videos that I did for PBS Mantra. He says Cowens goes to a healer named Brother Isaiah, a white man who claims to be a prophet and a spiritual healer, who apparently healing folks up there on the levee on the Mississippi River. But when she goes to him, he turns her away because She's African-American, Robert says. The man tells her, I can't help you. You are black. I only heal white people. So you see, Frand says, she's rejected, rejected, rejected. And now there's no hope anymore. So she prays for help and is visited by a spirit, Robert says, and the spirit tells her to create her own organization of sinners that she can help and she can heal. And her spiritual experience leads her to Mother Leafy Anderson, That's right. the founder of the spiritual church movement in New Orleans. Anderson trains her to be a spiritual mother so she can follow her calling and start her own independent church. Keith Calhoun remembers when there were a bunch of these around the neighborhood. At one time in the Lower Ninth Ward, you had a lot of churches out of the back of their houses. You went back there and you did your worship. Sandra McCormick 
also remembers these days. As a child, she saw many women in her community dressed in all white, head wrapped, and when she walked in the streets, they had their white on, and they meant that they and that meant that they were spiritual people, that they were spiritual individuals. And it was, uh, if I might add, an outward demonstration, an act of rebellion, just like much of Carnival is an act of rebellion against the status quo, the sort of organized structure that has often rejected us. But most of these rituals were kept closed behind doors. Since spiritual practices traced back to African traditions, many white people associated these religions with voodoo, and that's voodoo with the negative connotation with four O's. But they're not the same thing, says Roberts. Anybody doing anything unorthodox that maybe mainstream Christians would have a problem with, they get tagged with that label of voodoo as kind of an accusation about their practice. It's, it says black, it says backwards, it says dangerous, it says witchcraft. So John Taylor also grew up in the Lower Ninth War. He says that this is exactly why the spiritual churches weren't throwing up billboards all over town alerting people to their presence. All this was done most of the time under secrecy. You knew where the churches were sometimes but they didn't have a big sign saying it was a spiritual thing going on there. Because as I remember, when you stuck a nail in your foot, they put dirt in there and it would heal. And if you told the doctor that you were putting dirt on the sore, they'd go crazy. And the public scrutinizes these things that they do not understand. And that's why when Nanny Cowens decided to form her own church, she looked to the outskirts of town, across the industrial canal where there were still no electricity or paved roads. She changed her name to Mother Catherine Seals, bought what's now an entire block of Charbonnet Street in the Lower Ninth Ward, built a 10-foot wall around her property, and got to work. Associate professor in the um, in in a, in, in a UNO, the University of New Orleans Department of Anthropology, Dr. Ryan Gray, has done controlled digs on what was formerly Mother Catherine's Temple of the Innocent Blood on Charbonnet Street in the Lower Ninth Ward. He says there were two main buildings, her temple, which was more private, sort of a ritual space, and then her manger which was kind of an open-air building where she is described as holding over 300 people. Ryan is enamored by the descriptions of the physical space. Records say that there were usually over 500 lamps blazing at any given time. There were also sculptures scattered all over the place, small clay sculptures that Mother Catherine made herself, and it was muddy. You know all the accounts they talk about roads ending before they even get out here, Gray would say. So you had to walk over there through muddy, marshy blocks, and then it was walled compound rising up in the middle of the marshland. He was choosing to be right at the edge of the city limits. I'm sorry, he says choosing to be 
right at the edge of the city limits was a deliberate choice. It was just inaccessible enough to offer some sort of protection for a group that was defying racial and gender norms. When it came to Mother Catherine, she was most known for her healing powers. She used simple ingredients like castor oil and Epsom salt to ward off or expunge disease. There are also descriptions of people having wounds healed through chickens that were tied onto their legs. As word got around about Mother Catherine, more people trudged through knee-deep mud to visit her temple, which brings us back to the name, the Temple of the Innocent Blood. Dr. Ina Frenditch explains when she found out what she found out was a lot of women who had children out of wedlock, both black and white, were discarded by society. So these children who are often subjects of terrible abuse and violence now become the innocent blood because Jesus was born out of wedlock. Mother Catherine related to women who were abandoned and abused by men. So she decided to service these women first and foremost but she also vowed to not turn anyone away, no matter their age, gender, or race. And this is how the temple of innocent blood flattened racial hierarchies, which a Times-Picayune reporter named Francis White noticed. For a story on Mother Catherine, he tagged along a few first-time white visitors in 1924. Fandrix recounts what took place. She says a small African-American girl that they said was about nine years old ushered them inside. They wanted to sit up front, and the little girl said, oh, no, that's only for saints. I am a saint. I must say you have to sit in the back. What a peculiar reversal of the social order when if you are white or if you are, or if you are anyone, if you are the governor, you, you sit in the back because you are not a saint, which caused backlash, she said. And apparently there was arson attacks on a regular basis. There were a lot of people upset, you know, how can you all sit in one compound happily together? You're not allowed to do that. Much of what you would hear today in, in political correctness of today. So why did white people go to her temple? Well, let's say you didn't have to have money to see a doctor, or you did see a doctor who said there was nothing he or she could do, and then you heard there was a healer down in the lower ninth who was curing tuberculosis. That's why white people went there. And again, I, I often question today, with all the traditions in the world, all the ethnic, cultural, ritual magical practices in the world, why is the desire for just voodoo? Why is the desire for just Orisha? Why, why aren't we acknowledging Celtic and, and Nordic gods and ancient Japanese gods? Why are we not exploiting, appropriating, commercializing, bastardizing other powers in the natural indigenous world but ours. That's the question, right? There will come a day, though. <laughs> they will come a day. We are so far 
it's a crazy time right now that every modality of healing, no matter the culture, we will be adapting and taking in. There will be a time, I promise you, where healing uh, of the of any of these modalities, the more you know, the more these modalities that you learn and that you take in and the natural healing ability Spirit gave you is going to be worth more than gold because I see us going down this crazy, this crazy town. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. It's going to come a time when we're going to have to use every spiritual gift and every healing modality on this planet to hit because I'm hearing more and more people are having meltdowns. People melting down over all just over everything, over uh work and over uh, process and just everything. And so you're absolutely right. We're gonna have to adapt and adjust to every tribe healing way in order for us to survive intact. If we can survive and be so fractured that life won't be worth living. Mm-hmm. But to be survive intact, we're just gonna have to take everything and start uh we'll be healing people all over the place. Every in everybody's living room. Take out the furniture, make it a healing place. Mm-hmm. And so it's gonna come to that. Yeah, it will absolutely come to that. I, I remember our old Hollywood movie, um I believe it was called Escape from New York. Was that the movie where it was where it was a postmodern time and the world had been through some sort of World War Three and and much of the country was was destroyed? I think that was the name of the movie. Uh, Nina Lloyd says yes. Uh, so I think I got the right movie. But it takes me to that to that sort of mindset. Uh, another book, um, The Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, The Parable of the Sower by, by Octavia Butler. I've often suggested that book on this show many times over the course of the years in terms of looking at the dynamics of our world and our society and, and where culture will be in five years, in, in 10 years, in 20 years. And so I see a time when, you know, we, we just experienced a little bit of that in the earlier part of the pa- pandemic where there were no trucks rolling, where there was no access to toilet paper, where there was no access to, to dairy products, you know, or, or meat. And, and there was a moment where at least I got creative and I got to thinking, you know, well, what would I do and what would I need and what should I store, <laughs> you know, and what should I have on hand, you know, and, and it takes me to the story of, you know, Moses and being prepared for some sort of, world of global or, or at least regional transition in, in which we have to realign and readjust how we view reality and, and what reality is. The idea of returning back to pick up something that, that maybe we became disconnected from in order for our future survival um, is, is a radical concept, you know, with, within itself. But we're seeing people now with their plots of greens and beans and growing tomatoes again. You know, I've seen some people, you know, got chickens. Some of my godchildren got chicken coops, got goats in their yard. They're absolutely using the land availability, 
you know, to not only work the voodoo, but reconnect, you know, with nature. And so the spiritualist church um, also was a great provider of resources, you know, as was demonstrated with Mother Catherine, meeting the needs of the people, you know, housing, food, protection, defense, you know, from, from abuse and, and, and violence. Uh, there was a time neighbors got in your business. There was a time you, your neighbors were your friends, were your slash extended family, and, and they had a right to your business. They had a right to cor- correct your child, you know, acting a fool out, out in the public. You know, they had a right to sort of speak, you know, in, into an adult uh, uh, crossroads of conflict, right. you know, to try to create some, some peace That's without right. further inviting attention from the man. That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and the police. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and having them get deeply involved in our business. Somebody's got to train you. Your mama don't know everything. And that's what those older women were for. They'll bring you in and say, okay, you made one mistake. You don't have to make two. Right? And they will not only train you in the moral and ethical way to go through this life, but they trained you in the way of, of of rituals and herbal healing and uh, they used to cuff you. If you if a woman had a problem with a with a uh, uterus falling, you didn't go to the doctor. You didn't have money for doctor. The old ladies would sit you down, lay you down, take your clothes off, and they would cuff you and raise that uterus back up. And as many times as they had to do it throughout your life, if it fell again, they would cuff you. So we had a lot of healing knowledge that we have to go back to. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So there's no birth record for Leafy Anderson, but her obituary claims she was born in 1887 in Balboa, Wisconsin, a town that never existed. No, they have the name wrong. There is a town uh, that. Sounds like Balboa in Wisconsin that we believe that they made the mistake uh, and it was miswritten. But there is a town that sounds like that that she could have been born in. And being in in Wisconsin uh, as a child is one of the reasons that she came about the spiritual church the way that she did. Wherever she was born, she eventually moved to Louisiana and married William Anderson in Raceland. That marriage did not last. Anderson left her husband and moved to Chicago in 1914 before relocating to New Orleans in 1918. The spiritualist movement spread quickly throughout America during the 1920s. Because of segregation law in 1922, the year my mother's mother was born, the National Spiritualist Association of Churches expelled its black members. That's right. This led to the formation of the Colored Spiritualist Association of Churches. And within a few years, there were black spiritualist churches located in Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, uh, and many other chocolate cities of that time. Places in Alabama and Florida had spirits. And you notice the name changes from spiritualist to spiritual. 
Yes. Churches. Yes. Most churches in the 1920s were led by male pastors. Right. And Aniston broke that mold. She founded the spiritualist movement in New Orleans. Her church included the use of spirit guides in worship services, along with a mixture of Protestant and Catholic practices. That's right. Aniston trained other women to assume leadership roles as the movement spread across the city. Now, this is how she did this. On Wednesday night, she had a school. And for one dollar, you could attend school. She would assess your uh, uh, guests, and she would teach you how to use the gift. Because we're all born with gifts. So she would teach you how to use those gifts. And that's how you have all these spiritual churches popping up. Now, she started uptown, popping up in these women's back rooms. You could pass and you could hear the tambourines playing and all of this. This is how uh, you have all these women. She trained these women to head churches. And, of course, we would love to see a rebirth a regrowth, a, 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 a reformalization, if you will, of sort of these trends within this black spiritualist community of that time. We, we are indeed in a time and facing times to come where you're going to need your family, you're going to need your community, you're going to need the support of a network of individuals to ensure that, that we indeed have the things that we need for survival but that these practices have the power, the ashe, and the energy that they need also to survive. Anderson trained other women to assume leadership roles as the movement spread. She invited jazz bands to play in her church when many black ministers denounced it as devil music. New Orleans leaders later dropped the ist from their name, spiritualist and called themselves spiritual, which Denise uh, was just talking about, putting a greater emphasis on Jesus. And Anderson taught followers to summon spirits, often cl- offered classes for a dollar a session. She was known for her yellow and gold robes, draped with a mantle bearing the image of Blackhawk, her spirit guide. She told her followers that she found the spirit of Blackhawk and historical Native American in Chicago. She considered him a protective figure and guardian who united the beliefs of Christianity with the ancient idea of spiritual cosmology. Anderson died of flu in 1927. Her last words reportedly were, I am going away and I am coming back, but you shall know that I am here. After her death, Anderson's successor, Mother Catherine Seals, ran the Temple of the Innocent Blood. And when Seals died, the church broke away, giving rise, giving rise to many spiritualist denominations in New Orleans, but also uh, throughout chocolate cities um, across, you know, America. And being born in Chicago, Cook County Hospital, Chicago, being raised, growing up educated in the DMV, uh, the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, the, the furthest north, if you will, you can sort of live and, and, and be 
according to the, the Makes and Dixon line, and then having uh, over a quarter of a century of my life formulate and develop in, in Louisiana, I've always had sort of that intimate connection to Black Hawk. It's one of the reasons that I mask Black Hawk voodoo uh, for, as, as a part of the Black, continuous of the Black Carnival uh, tradition. But it's also a way of, of keeping alive this Indios, this indigenous spirit connection to many of our spirit practices that would otherwise be lost or misinterpreted as uh, paganism or, or some other forms of witchcraft. We see from North to South America, from the practice of Maria Leonza to demonstrations of um, 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 Santeria and uh, Sanse uh, in, in Puerto Rico uh, and many other traditions where you see an acknowledgement of the black African deities, gods, if you will, but you also see an acknowledgement of indigenous spirits, those who were connected to this land, uh, whether you were already here and connected to those people or, of course, those of us who were escaping the, the constructs of enslavement would on the occasion find some favor with the indigenous community, some protection, some knowledge, some information. Absolutely. So he's on the wall. Watchman on the wall. He's on the wall. <laughs> okay. Watchman on the wall. Yes, indeed. Yes, Never indeed. misses a beat. Always watching for your protection. The revolutionary, revolutionary figure. Mm-hmm. Spiritual church is a revolutionary church. Voodoo is a revolutionary Voodoo practice. Is a, that's right. That's right. This is about the survival of native people of this planet. The revolution in order for protection, seek spirit for abundance, seek spirit for guidance. That's why the, the spiritual church talks about spirit guides. Praying is wonderful. You can stand up and pray all day, but if your mouth is working, you're not listening. You've got to hear. In order to hear, you've got to be quiet. So that's why sometimes you've got to just sit in silence. Now, you don't pray about it. You done danced, you done sung, you done did the ritual. Now it's time to sit quiet and listen so spirit can talk. Mm-hmm. That's right. Spirit can talk. Mm-hmm. Spirit can't talk if your mouth is always moving. Sometimes you've got to just sit quiet and the answer will come. Mm-hmm. When you burn all the candles you can burn, when you've done all the readings you can do, when you've applied your level an experience of, of, of ATR spirit practice, right. th- there's still a point when, when the ancestors ask us to sit down and be quiet. That's right. There's still a point where the Most High asks us to sit down and be quiet in order to receive That's and right. interpret that download. I like to call it a download. It is a download. <laughs> you know? Because you'll be, you'll be, you'll be, I'll, I'll be sitting there thinking about nothing. I done prayed, I done wrote, I done wrote the ritual down, I done out of uh, uh, hit it with sacred perfume. I put it in the jar and made it sweet. That's right. And now at this point, it's no longer up to me. And this is where surrender becomes your greatest power. That's right. All right, I've you done say. all I can do. You see, 
I don't know about you, but I'm a control freak. I want to fix it. Mm -hmm. And there are things that I cannot fix. And once you say, Spirit, I can't fix this. Mm Therein, the spirit goes, okay, we're waiting for you to stop running in circles, hitting your head and falling down. Uh, we're going to tell you what you need to do, how you need to do it. And we'll not only tell you what you need to do and how you do it, but we'll bring people in to help you do what you need to do or give you information. I've been sitting in a coffee shop next to what I know is a racist, having a conversation with a friend of mine, worried about an incident. He put this paper down and he whispers in my ear. Let me tell you how to fix that. Now, I know this man would not do anything to help me. And I know spirit led him to tell me, this is what you need. This is how you do it. This is the person you go see. I looked over at him and said, thank you. He had his paper back up. He never even acknowledged it. But he had to tell me what I needed to know. And spirit put me in the place I needed to be next to the person I needed to be next to in order to get the answer to this. That's right. And Leanne Richer from the chat sends you greetings. I just need you all to know she can't see the chat very well. That's why she's not uh, immediately responding Responding. back in the chat. Nice to see you, Leanne. Um, Yeah, and even the lighting of your screen is just so bright for me. Right. I I I can't see the chat. But thank you. Greetings to you. Yeah, we appreciate it. So there is a a long legacy and history of uh, black roots being tapped, being accessed here in in New Orleans, and not just by the local-born population, but by transients and transplants and travelers and visitors um, from wherever they might be coming from in the world who are seeking a connection to history, who is seeking a connection to authentic bloodlines and authentic lineage and, indeed, authentic practice. Um, I'm opening up the house a a little more, and and sometimes it's a little uncomfortable, particularly in this this day of COVID, you know, 19. I had the largest group I've had um, ever in the house a a few days ago, um, six people, and I'll admit, I was a little off-put. I, I felt like I was in a dream state. You know, I'm, 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 my, I knew my mouth was moving. I knew I was doing the things that I needed to do. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is six people, and it's COVID-19, and they got new strands. And, you know, my, my mind just gets to go in there. And I've been vaccinated. Beloved Denise has been vaccinated. Uh, but I'm still just, oh, my goodness. Right. So please forgive me. I'm adapting. I am welcoming visitors again into the house. Uh, please schedule your appointments and your consultations by way of email, divineprince at houseofthedivineprince.com. I'll be more than happy to, to reach out to you and, and respond to your need and or your request. When I think about where is voodoo going? Where is Orisha going? Where is ATR going 20 years from now, 40 years from now? How will this look and how will this survive? And I'm conscious of our ability to lay down a foundation for that demonstration right now. Those of us who are in this space, for for diversity of reasons, 
but particularly for those of you who are seeking connection and commitment to this tradition. Um, I got this weird message from the Spirit earlier today, and it had everything to do with marriage and commitment and connection. And the spirits were angry. The ancestors were angry that so many people were seeking them out to fix messes that we've created, you know, to get involved in, in our vanities and our greed and our desire for, you know, stuff that, you know, is completely um, absent of spirit context. They were angry that, you know, they were being asked to be a part of, of the ritual work and be a part of, uh, of the witchcraft and were being, you know, invoked to stand up and, and, and not by people who were committed to them, who were married to them, who had some relationship to them. And it speaks everything to how we view family today in the society, how we, how we remove neighbor from neighborhood. So now we just stay the hood. We, we took the neighbor out of it, out of the That's hood. Right. And we don't have big mama. We don't have big papa. And in the presence of big mama and big papa and eldership, we have that ego says, oh, no, don't say nothing to my child. You better not correct my child. You know, and certainly as an adult, you're not going to correct me. You know, people are not even willing to hear and humble themselves sometimes to correction and power and information that can absolutely bring the hopes, the dreams, the visions right. alive that we all seek and, and desire. And, and let me interject something. I'm an elder, and I have a bunch of young people around me who counsel me about the things of this world because I'll step back and they'll say, they'll say, uh, Mama, don't do that. That's not what it looks like. This is what this is. That's not safe for you. So never in this flesh, no matter how or what age I get, will I deny counsel from people who know more than me about a subject. When I hire a plumber, I don't tell the plumber how to do it. So when it comes to things like social media, and I go to tie for that. Divine Prince does that for me. But my granddaughter and, 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 and other young people I keep around me for, to keep me from getting stagnant. Now, let me tell you something else. I was a 19-year-old, 18-year-old married woman with a baby. And one step, the baby was born in August, and they used to keep you in the house uh, six weeks before you left that house. And at the end of September, I walked out, it's still warm in New Orleans, with my baby, and he used to carry a diaper bag. And the neighbor told me, now I'm a married woman in my own house. She said, Denise. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, go back in that house and get a blanket for that baby. You know what I did? Turned around, went back in the house, got that blanket, Walked back out, said thank you, and walked two blocks away before I said, who is she to tell me to go get a blanket? I knew better than to talk back because mm-hmm. I thought I was a woman. 
It took me two blocks away before I could talk smart for the fear of getting knocked into next week for being disrespectful. So, but listen, it, 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 it's more than just the people. The yeah, but it's but but understand, it's more than just the respecting of an elder. Right. E- even the scriptures say, be careful, be assured that you're not entertaining angels That's unaware, right. that you aren't entertaining Loa and Orisha That's unaware, right. and, and many of you are calling down and invoking these Orishas, these powers, these spirits that you may or may not have been officially initiated in and taught how, how to operate with, but you're calling them down by, by, by the sheer power of your will, by the sheer power of, of your desperation, by the sheer power of your need, and they will often show up where we are spiritually. And so be careful that that, that smelly bum on the corner, you know, with the bottle in his hand, was indeed not Ogu or Papa Legba, you know, or, or, or another deity or another power checking your consciousness. That's right. Checking your state of being. That's right. Checking That's your attitude, right. you know, and, and your direction. So be you careful come with it. that you don't entertain, you know, you know, your own demise. Everything <laughs> is not in the package that you think it is. That's right. Everything is not packaged how your mind says it is. You know, growing up in the, in the, in the city and the northernmost part of the South, um, I learned really quickly that many people walk and don't pay attention to the ground. I, I, I was often tickled by that because for me, man, as a kid, I was finding gold, silver, copper, you know, money. yeah, money, you know, almost anywhere I would go, um, I, I would find something. And growing up in the DMV, I'm sure, you know, you've got a lot of tourists coming to D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, a lot of movement, a lot of government employees coming back and forth, you know, and we get sort of caught in our, in our groove, in our frequency, you know, in our routine, and you start ignoring the other ways in which spirit is speaking to you, is communicating to you. That's why that meditative point in the day, that spirit point in that day, you know, I get up and I acknowledge my head first. Every single day, that's what I do. First thing is I acknowledge my head. Because without your own head, God and the, and the ancestors and, and the spirits and people can't do nothing for you. I remember the old folk used to say, clothed and in my right mind. That's right. Remember that? Clothed and in my right mind. Clothed and in my right mind. So I acknowledge my head first and the power of my head first. And then I acknowledge my ancestors. For indeed, we stand on the shoulders of powerful, mighty ancestors, those who came before us, those who survived sickness, disease, war, racism, discrimination, prejudice, white supremacy. And so they are our front line of defense. That's right. They are a front line of defense in humanity and what it is to be human and, and walk through the narrative uh, of this world. And then I acknowledge the spirit that governs the day in, in terms of acknowledging that, that ritual power, that Orisha power that we'd like to pull from. And I'm noticing, too, that often when I get my show together and I get it right, it, it, it's on Shango's day. Yeah. It, it, it's on Shargo's day. 
So, Iba Shango, Mojuba Ashango, Mojuba Oya, Mojuba Yansa, we indeed give great authority and power and, and awareness and caution to the power of fire and electricity and, and lightning that moves through the sky. Mama Oya is really Mother Earth. Some of you might be hearing this for the first time here. Oya is Mother Earth. She indeed can be heard moving through and felt moving through wind and torrential rains, but she's really not a deity of, uh, of you know, great calamity, but she is indeed Mother Earth. And, and that's also the connection to her association with the gates of the cemetery. We don't bring Orisha into the cemetery, but she represents and acknowledges the gates between life and death, the gates between heaven and hell, the, the gates that Papa Gede and, and Baron Samdi represent and defend for and, and protect for. So we acknowledge spirit power of the day. You know, we, we feed them because they feed us. We talk to them because they talk to us. We gift them because they gift us. <laughs> And so that power, that magic is, is pervasive in many of the things that are sort of coaching our attention right now, even our imaginations, TV shows, movies, p- productions with, with a little bit of hoodoo in it here and a little bit of witchcraft in it there and a little bit of magic in it, you know, over there. And so it's really important to me that we remain true and authentic. It's a job that I've taken on. It's a job that, I, that I've accepted. But the ability and the need to have to educate and re-educate before I can even respond to your request, before I can even get into what the email is about, I have to educate and re-educate. Voodoo is not witchcraft. This is not magic. It might look like magic, Fruit off the tree might look like magic. Giving birth to a baby might look like magic. Being able to step to the lake and, 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 and pull out fish and sustenance might feel like magic. But voodoo is nature. Nature. All of that is nature. It's nature. It's nature. So as with nature, there's, there's energy that comes in and there's energy that goes out. That's right. As with nature, there's growth and there's development. That's right. There's an evolutionary cycle. There's a process. And so, and so indeed, my desire is to not just teach quick magic. You know, we don't do that here. <laughs> you know, no. your, 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 your kitchen magic and your kitchen hoodoo, I don't do that here. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are plenty of other locations where if you want to be entertained, please. But don't, don't confuse it with voodoo. That's don't confuse it with authentic ATR demonstration. And indeed, it is a lifestyle. It's a religion. It's a culture. It, it's about ethnicity. It's about lifestyle. It's about what you think and how you acknowledge the world in any given moment of the day. Loa and Risha are speaking to us 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. If we would just be Open still. Yourself. If we would just listen. That's right. That's right. The is all there. If you just slow down enough, spirit can't speak if you if you running 90 miles an hour. You have got to slow down and seek 
spirit in its purest form. Thank you, Eva, Orisha, beloved Orisha. That's one of my godchildren, her and her husband. Um, and Leon Richard, yes, beloved. I, I, I watched the ground. Now, listen, I watched the ground, but I, I watched the sky. It, it's a three-dimensional process. And particularly if you're in the city, you, it's too easy to get caught in your routine, to go to the same store. You know, maybe you take public transportation, you know, in, in, in terms of your, your employment. You know, maybe you drive, you know, a particular highway, a, a particular route, and you get in a groove, almost like a 45 or LP, you know, the old records. You get in a groove, and, and you only see what's right up front. You're only seeing what's there, and there's such a depth and wealth of activity and life just behind that that we often miss. You know, sometimes it's daydreaming. Sometimes you, you know, you're working and you doze off or, or you fall off into your imagination or, or your vision, you know, into spirit. And we work against that in this culture. You know, the boss says you got to do eight hours and you got to punch that clock and you ain't got no business dozing off, you know. But, but in the natural world, you know, where things are a little bit more organic, you know, a little less stressed. One of the reasons we like living in, in the deep south. Living in New Orleans, especially. Yeah, a little bit more laid back, and you have an opportunity to hear spirit speak. You have an opportunity to really see spirit move and be willing to see spirit move. And that rush for 24-hour, 7-Eleven, right in this moment kind of magic, you all are missing a great deal of miraculous wonder that God and spirit and nature perform around us each and every day. Some might say this vaccine is a miraculous wonder. There was a little bit of a conversation about that in the chat. There was? Um, Not a whole lot. I just think that uh, Beverly, if I may, is is not for the vaccine. She didn't really get into it, and that's fine, too. Um, but she probably heard me say that I that the both of us had yes, been vaccine, right? And what vaccine did you take? I took Moderna. Now let me tell you why I took it. So uh, I have a friend who, for forty years, made medicine in Basel, Switzerland. He lived in Germany, and every day he drives to Basel, Switzerland. And he was, a, he was, before retired, developed medicine. Now, people, uh, because I had my doubts and I was backing up off it like a crawfish, so I called Germany and asked, not, asked him about it. There was already a foundation and a study on the COVID virus. They didn't start from scratch. There was recent, COVID's been in, 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 in the system, in, in our environment for years, hundreds of years, thousands but of the years. The common coal is COVID. COVID is not new. Mm-hmm. So there was a foundation that they started with. And over 10,000 scientists worked on a vaccine for this COVID virus. And that Besides the money that was there from the Obama administration to get them off and running, that is how scientists all over the world studying COVID 
got a vaccine to the market. Now, the other thing is, I got, I'm, I'm a black woman. Of course, I wake up and I've got to really look at what's going on here. They vaccinated medical staff first, doctors, nurses, people in the hospital got that vaccine first because they were dying. We lost over 3,000 doctors and nurses who know international protocols to stay safe. Know the protocol to keep yourself from catching something. And even knowing this protocol, this thing was so highly, uh, uh, highly Contagious. contagious that they were dying. So the very first thing they did was they gave them the vaccine first. And my mother, who's been long dead, spoke to me one one night in my dream. She said, they're not going to kill all of them first. Are you crazy? Take the vaccine. And that's what made me take it. When my mother came to me and said, well, they're not going to kill all those medical personnel, all those doctors, lawyers, scientists, and all of that. And when they moved it to the rich neighborhood first, rich people in Florida in those retirement communities got COVID vaccine long before they brought it into the into the community. The wealthy got it first, and so I understand people having a uh, having some doubts. But the thing I can tell you is, I know that having COVID was not an option for me. So therefore, I took it because I need to be in the community and I need to be able to navigate through the community along with still wearing a mask and being careful. That's so right. That, that's my explanation for me personally. People have to do what they think is right for them, but I had to get I had to get a message and do research on this plane, and that's why I was able to take it without any fear. That's right. And, and my response is not exact, but very similar to that, in that um, I can't trust your hygiene. I can't trust your hygiene. I can't trust your level of belief or disbelief in, in whether it's real or not real. I, I, I can't trust none of that with, with most people. And, and there are too many individuals, tourists, groups, you know, families, right. couples that, that are just showing up at my door right. and are wanting immediate access. And I, I just can't. Right. Even in the environment of vaccine, I, I, I just can't. It's got to pre-plan. It's got to be predetermined. I got to know you're coming. That's right. You got to understand what the protocol protocol calls are right. and what's expected before you come into the house. Um, that's just fair and and professional and hygienic. And 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 it's taking care of yourself. Yeah, ladies. Demanding a condom is taking care of yourself. You can't leave that responsibility to nobody else. I could not leave the responsibility of somebody uh, being vaccinated. They could tell me they were vaccinated. I don't know that. I still have to protect myself. It is my responsibility to take care of myself and make sure I'm safe. Because mm-hmm. you could say, oh, yeah, we've been vaccinated. How do I know? I wasn't there. So... This is this is a resp- being responsible for your own well-being. That's for right. Your own well-being. 
Remember your mama used to tell you, don't eat from everybody. That's being responsible for yourself. That's right. Everybody don't cook clean. Be very careful. That's right. So you were given warnings throughout your life on how to take care of yourself. Yeah. In the natural world and in the spiritual world, especially in New Orleans, who do? There's just certain things you don't do and your friends know and don't ask you to do these things because they grew up with the same traditions. You don't loan a person your broom. You don't give a person a lemon or an onion. They're just straight. You don't give people things to work against you. Or, 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 you understand? So there's traditions and there's common sense things that you do to protect yourself. And all I'm asking that you That was voodoo to there. I don't yourself. think they heard you. Huh? That was, that was some voodoo there. I don't think they heard you. A lot of folks say ain't never heard nothing about a lemon. Oh, or, no. Or onion. Oh, no. I have, but, but this audience maybe haven't heard that certain before. Certain things you don't do in the, in the community, <laughs> like loaning your groom. Mm-hmm. Why would you let somebody sweep their troubles in their house out and give you the dirty broom back so you can sweep all, sweep, so you can sweep all their troubles into your home? There's just rules and regulations mm-hmm. in the spiritual world that you don't do, right? The Goddess Initiative said, "Oh, we heard. <laughs> they heard. They heard the little uh, droplets of of gold and." nuggets being presented there in the process you know and take care of yourself yeah and you start a new year off with a new broom right and you never buy one you never totally clean your house in the month of may when it first starts when it starts don't buy a new broom don't buy a new mop wait till the next month the month of june to do that don't, don't do that kind of cleaning in the month of May. Let that first half of the year go, right? You clean it at the beginning of the year, and then in June, you buy a new room and a new mop. And you never move into a house, into a new apartment or a new house with that same room and that same mop. Never do it. That's the one rule that you can do in the month of May. If you're going into a new space in the month of May, you can buy a room and a mop. You bring a loaf of bread and you bring a brand new brand new loaf of bread and a brand new box of salt. You never go into a new space without those things. That is what make sure you're well fed, make sure you have money, make sure you have luck. Also, okay. a new St. Michael's prayer over the front door of your house and a St. Peter at the back. Oh, yeah, we got rules, baby. <laughs> yeah, we got rules. rules. That's we got. That's what we do. Yes, Michael indeed. Michael lives above my door. Leanne, no, I, I don't. And even as an actor and a performer, I do my best to always have my own shoes, uh, even in my own clothes. That's uh, right. More often than not, I'm not wearing a costume on set. That's right. I, I'm wearing a costume, but it's my costume. It, it's my clothing. Right. So I go to a great length to not only wear secondhand shoes, but, but secondhand clothes, to be quite honest. Right. And, and growing up in the DMV, in, in Chocolate City in the 1970s, uh, that was a tricky one because the, the idea, the sort of the tradition of passing clothes down, you know, in a family, you know, the older child to the younger child, you know, was still really, really uh, prevalent. I, I don't even know if that's prevalent even today, but but that was a common practice, you know, back then. 
And often my dad would pass down his stuff to me. Right. And I would hate those clothes. I, 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 I wouldn't wear those clothes to save my life. The shoes, right. the old suit, you know, from the 70s, you know. Um, oh, I long got rid of Now, Oprah. years ago, there was a girl, Oprah, gave clothes to charity. Yes, it is, Arisha. And a girl in Chicago bought a pair of Oprah's shoes. And she wrote and told Oprah that when things were not going well for her and she was at her worst, she would put on her shoes. That was looking for that success energy. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was trying to get that energy because Oprah's very successful, very knowledgeable, very right. So that girl said, I would step into those shoes and just stand. You know, looking for that energy, and that's the problem with buying clothes, uh, shoes, uh, in 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 uh, in secondhand stores. You don't know who the pro- what the problem was or who owned them and had clothes is a different thing because uh, I had an aunt bought nothing but used clothes. You know what she would do with them? If they were white, she'd put a teaspoon of sugar, holy water, and a and a uh, drop of bluing in them. And if they were dark, she would have a teaspoon of sugar, a cap of, of uh, clear ammonia, and a uh, teaspoon of sugar, clap of, of clear ammonia, and a squirt of holy water from the Our Lady of Guadalupe Church. And she would clean those clothes and wash it out and took every ugly out of it. I don't think yeah, I come from that, so from that warlike generation. Huh? I come from that warlike generation. Yeah, but there would be a teaspoon of sugar and that holy water and a cap of clear ammonia mm-hmm. to clean mm-hmm. whatever spirit was on it. She'd clean it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, do we have any questions? Come on, y'all. Turn them webcams on. Come on, the Goddess Initiative. You always have something to say. And what happened to Neophyte Bokor and Hoodoo Occultism? Come on in, my beloved deacons and my choir. Where y'all at? (laughs) Come on in today. We're going to be here maybe uh, 10 minutes more. We've done almost a two-hour show. Um, and that went very nicely, and we appreciate your active participation and listenership and viewership from wherever in the world you are. Uh, the phone lines uh, will probably close in two minutes at area code 845-277-9143, and then Block Talk Radio won't allow you to call in to an active show uh, past uh, quarter to the hour. Um, so 845-277-9143. Particularly if you uh, don't have a, a working webcam, you can always call in and share your question, comment, or request. Of course, we appreciate everyone in the chat. Thank you, Nathan Burns. I, I got your email for sure, um, so I'm, I, I'll respond to it um, momentarily, not too long after the show. We also appreciate you all's acknowledgement and respect. Some of you are already well familiar with Denise Augustine from Buried Worlds on on the Travel Channel with 
with uh, Don Wildman from um, Nat Geo uh, Atlas of Cursed Places with, um, oh, wow, I'm drawing a blank. What's the host of that show's name? Um, oh, my goodness, Atlas of Cursed Places. Um, it'll come to me. But Denise often is in my documentary productions. The documentaries are important to me. Listen, I appreciate American Horror Story. I appreciate um, NCIS New Orleans, you know, which is leaving. Just, you know, peace and good blessings to NCIS New Orleans. I appreciate all the commercials and all the music videos and the opportunities. But I'm most appreciative of the documentaries that give me an opportunity to present the truth and authenticity of our practices. And Denise is often there as a speaker and orator and historian and, and, and truth teller of, of our traditions. And of course, I appreciate Michi X and projects like Michi X, which also give me an opportunity to show, you know, a different side of me that I often don't, um, I don't get very political here in this space. You don't often see, you know, sort of who I am from a more political grassroots perspective. Um, in this sort of calm and tranquil, sacred space that we create here every day for two hours. Um, so I, I'm grateful for Michi X. I'm probably going to play her video um, towards the, the end of the, of the show and an opportunity to do more grassroots um, organizing and grassroots-related movements. My goal, my dream is that we would continue to evolve past, to grow past, sort of the religious confines and structures that were placed upon us that many of us were born into and indeed stepped into this day of freedom of of religious expression, particularly when it comes to West African and and indigenous world traditions. I offer you to embrace your ancestry. I offer offer you to embrace your blood. I offer you to embrace your family and your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and all those ancestors, both known and unknown, which give you your very being, which give you your very presence in this present moment in time space. And indeed, there are many, some words of 360 or more, just between who I am today and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmama and grandpapa back on the continent of Mother Africa or in South America, or in Dominica, where some of my people are from, Dominica. So embrace your blood, embrace embrace your ancestors. They are indeed a building block for those who are active in the tradition, but they're also a foundation upon which we all can stand, those initiated or not. We all have ancestors. So I'm grateful for the Leafy Andersons. I'm, I'm grateful for the Mother Catherines. I'm grateful for the Bois Coupies. I'm grateful for the St. Maroons. I'm grateful for all those ancestors, those great revolutionary leaders who understood that revolution was more than just war. Oh, yes, it is. It's more than just picking up a, a machete. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> it, it's more than just wielding a double-headed axe. You know, but it requires real work internally, spiritually, you know, that oh, yes. that a Bois came in ceremony was not one ceremony, one magical voodoo ceremony that sort of ignited them to to revolution. 
but was a series of ceremonies, a series of prayer services coming together, gathering over spirit, ritual, drum, medicine, and, and yes, divination, which empowered them to make those, those strides forward. So in a time when, when, you know, we're battling on all levels, Oh, yes, we are. We're battling in the spirit. We're battling in the intellectual. And that magical book warned you of such. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness in this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Oh, yes. Yet my prophet, Tychicus, the faithful one, would come and reveal all things. And indeed, I am Tychicus. I am the, the, the present manifestation of that faithful minister, Tychicus. So I'm grateful for the two hours that we spent here together. Uh, in the last show, I said I'm going to transform things a little bit. I hope you enjoyed beloved Denise Augustine being present. She did offer to be here a little bit more regularly. It has been my pleasure. <laughs> been, you got to remember, uh, I shut down in March of 2020. And there is stories inside of me. And these stories started to well up inside of me. And Divine Prince gave me an opportunity to be able to continue to tell these stories. Old people used to say, I can't hold my peace. I've got to tell you who you are. That's it right. is in me to tell you what spirit has brought forth out of me. My gift to to remind you of who you are. Listen, that, that voyage was 8 to 12 weeks in rough water. We lost many of our own in the Atlantic. But those of us that survived, our ancestors that survived, are made of something wholly different. The mere fact that they brought you forth this far. They're made of something different, something special, something magical. They left something inside your DNA that you have to take advantage of. You're not here by accident. There's no such thing as an accident that brought you from your DNA all the way on that nightmare horrific trip that so many of them did not survive, that you stand here. You stand on the shoulders of giants. Baby. That's right. Stand on the shoulders, shoulders of giants. And they're always looking out. They're always watching. Always they're always watching. aware. We, we, we got birds over us right now. I don't know if you can hear them or not, but they're sounding the alarm. I'm familiar with that sound. I mean, that means it's a hawk out there looking for a bird to eat, looking That's for right. a dove or a pigeon to right. eat. And, and the birds are now sounding Sounded the alarm. That's right. And it takes me back to a time where we were in touch with nature. We were in touch with the dirt, with the fruitfulness of the ground, with the movements of the animals and the spirits in nature, and had that ability to communicate that. Right. You've got to be able to nurture and bring forth these gifts inside of you. You didn't just come here to eat and party and die. You have gifts inside of you that you have to bring forth. You have to find your gifts. Nurture that gift and use that gift for the healing and the information 
and the things that you need to do for the people. God didn't put a gift, a gift, a gift inside you for you to hold it. What good is it? What good is it if it's not helping the community? Your ancestors are not happy if you're holding what you gave them. You've got to be able to use what you were given for the good of the community and for your good. That's right. Thank you, Nathan Burns. Much appreciative. Most certainly grateful for the offerings. I certainly am. Um, We got about eight minutes, seven or eight minutes, and I'm going to be closing out. I'm, again, always grateful and humbled when Denise finds that moment, finds that that opportunity to join me in, in spirit. You know, we do business, you know, a lot of that, but to join me in spirit, to join me in, in church, to join me in the sacred space for which we acknowledge these, these great powers and authorities that stand with us and stand for us. Know that I'm always here for you in your endeavors. Um, Arisha, I have some things I need to get in the mail to you. So I need you to keep in touch. Um, I got a few other people. I think I've already communicated with them. So I've gotten texts with certain addresses in them. A hoodoo occultism, I need to hear from you. And um, Neophyte Bokor, I might even need to hear from you, beloved. So please reach out to me um, off air, away from social media, um, either by phone or text or email, um, so that I can get some details correct before I start sending packages out through, through FedEx. And I will be back up and running mid to late September with our sacred stories, Afro-Creole tours of New Orleans, speaking about our history, culture, and tradition, ancestors, our food ways. I'm adding food ways to uh, my tour. Uh, Just everything that brought about our survival and our culture in this most Africanized city in America. Mid to late September, I will have a website up sooner than that. Um, I will see where COVID is at the time and what the requirements will be, but I will be up before October 1st, I can tell you, um, to start again in my educational healing modality because information heals so i my goal is to heal you with the knowledge of who you are and i will have a website up and be back ready to work and ready to do what i need to do when you visit new orleans you can take a walking tour with me yes yes all is truly and indeed a blessing i'm so grateful and honored for each and every one of your presence I look forward to you joining me here again next time at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time for a revolutionary hoodoo, New Orleans Square recipes. Broadcast a lot the from New Orleans, from Jamaica, from that Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The almost Indians prepared this place for us. 
centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our hosts, the Omus Indians, they pushed aside our hosts. The colonizers came and pushed aside our hosts and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment, but nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de grace cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is, hail Congo Square, Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate. A world harrowed by the beat. Be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat. Heart beat. Heart beat at this place. At this place. Be heart beat. Be we beating place in new world space. Beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music, the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. 
connected together and singing, ringing, singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be banza music and sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate with out of us. Whoa! But no matter... No matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day, a feel, a feel without shade, but dark, dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades, eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember. To beat, to be, beat, Congo Square, be, Congo Square, beat, be, beat, be. Remember, 
remember.